this morning I'd like to just kind of build on what I've been speaking about for the last couple of weeks. If you remember, the first time I was back after holiday, I spoke to you out of Romans 8.32, which says that God, who graciously gave us His Son, will He not now graciously give us all things? And I try to encourage you and say that we can have hope for our lives and hope for the future of this church because we can be, uh, have the sure foundation of this promise that God, who so loved His Son with the eternal, undying love, gave Him to us. And on that basis, because God has already done the big thing, the difficult thing for God, which was to separate Himself from His Son and to send Him to earth, that whoever believed in Him would not die, but would have eternal life. That was the big thing for God. That was the difficult thing for God. He's already done that difficult thing. That's the big thing. And now the small thing that He does for us, which is not difficult, for Him is that in our lives, He graciously gives us everything that we need for our lives. And that's the foundation of the Christian life. God has already done the big thing. And because He's done the big thing, He now graciously, continuously, all the time does the easy thing for Him, which is to give us all things. All right? And I tried to unpack that a little bit about what does it mean that God gives us all things. And if you weren't here, please listen to the podcast and catch up because it will be a good foundation for this year. All right? And then last week, what did I speak about last week? Oh, friendship, of course. Sorry. Yes. I spoke about community. I spoke about friendship and the joy that we have in knowing each other and that as we love God with all of our hearts, that's expressed directly in how we love each other. And the, the two are not in contra- contradiction, that actually community, church community and loving God is, shows, demonstrates just how much we love Him. And actually that as we worship with our voices on a Sunday, we worship as we love each other and that the two are connected. All right? And so, again, if you weren't here last week, listen to that, please. And then what I'd like to speak to you about this morning is a very simple thing. Uh, I'd like to speak to you about the body of Christ and why we use this word body as we look forward to the next uh, season of the church. Romance. Romance is still up there. <laughs> so I'm going to speak to you from the book of Romance this morning, all right? <laughs> So, if you read the New Testament, there are many pictures, there's picture language that's used all the time about the church. So, Jesus is described as the great shepherd, and we described as his flock, or there's the household of God. Paul uses the picture of household, that we are family, a community together. Um, these are all pictures that are used. I want to speak to you and just out of one picture that is, is used a lot in the New Testament, and that is when the church is described as the body, or a body, or the body of Christ. I just want to unpack that a little bit this morning, and and, uh, hopefully that will help you as you think about the church. It's curious to me that whenever um, preachers, people like me, or Christian leaders, talk about the church as the body, we often become confused about whether we are speaking about the local church, or we're speaking about the universal church, or we're speaking about both at the same time. And so as an introduction, I'd like to just kind of clarify how we can understand this thing of the body. Actually, the, the, the term body generally refers to all saved people on earth at any given time. That's what the word body refers to. When we speak about the church, it's speaking about at any given time period, those people that believe in Christ here on the earth, that is the body, that is the church of God. It's not generally referring to people in heaven and people on earth. All right? The church is not in heaven. 
The church is here on earth. The body of Christ, when we, speak, we use that word body, we're speaking about people here on earth. Some people in the past, uh, various theologians, have tried to say that actually when the Bible speaks and uses this word body, it's talking about a heavenly spiritual thing. And I don't think that's quite right, because uh, remember, we've just finished studying uh, Philippians, and when uh, Paul writes this, he says, I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, of which I became a minister. So Paul, quite clearly, there's not speaking about heaven. He's not speaking about a heavenly thing. He's speaking about an earthly body of believers that are gathered in Christ. All right? So that's what we speak about when we speak about the body. That the, this is also true that the headquarters of the body are not here on earth. The headquarters are in heaven. So that's where we need to think quite clearly. Um, we are gathered as earthly believers around our King, Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what does Paul say? He says, we too are seated. Our identity is in Christ. And so in a sense, we are seated in heaven with Jesus, but we are very much for this time still here on earth, right? We are not yet in heaven with Christ. And yet he is the head of the church, so he is seated in heaven. So the headquarters of the church, the body, are in heaven, but we are still very much for this season here on earth. Okay, is that, is that clear? Secondly, it's important to say that the term body doesn't really focus just on one local congregation, all right? Um, there's unity in the church around the world, and so when we use the word body, we're talking about all of the expressions of local church. There's only one body. That's what Ephesians says in Ephesians 4. So we don't speak about bodies of Christ when we speak about local churches. We speak about local churches, but there's one body of Christ. Does that make sense? All right? And so I've referenced here Romans. You can leave it up. It's cool. I don't mind. Romans 12 is a, is a, is a, a, a great portion speaking about the body, Paul talking about the body, or 1 Corinthians 10, or Ephesians, or Colossians. And there are different emphases as Paul uses these, the, this term in these letters. In Romans and Corinthians, what his main point is, Paul's main point, is that the church, the body of Christ, all local churches together, have many members, but there's one head. All right? And, that, and similarly, in, in Ephesians and Colossians, that's what Paul's main emphasis is, that Christ is the head of this body with many parts here on earth. So I'd like to very briefly give you a number of things for you to think about as we think about the church and as we think about this church as an expression of the universal church and as we try and go into the future. The first thing I'd like to say about why Paul uses body language, why he uses this phrase, the body, is because the word body stresses the idea of life in a very basic sense. Think of the difference between a machine and a physical body. A machine might have motion, it might be able to move, it might have a routine, it might be programmed, it might be mechanical, but in, this, in the same way, it's mindless. It cannot think for itself. We're not going to talk about AI today. All right, Jesse. <laughs> well, the point is, a machine does not have personality in the same way that a body does. People have flexibility, uh, their routines can be adapted, 
by moment by moment, as the situation changes, people can respond and, and um, take things forward as they need to. So Paul purposefully uses this, this word body to stress the idea of life. And the supreme characteristic of the church should be life. All right? It should be, uh, I was trying to think of synonyms for, for, for life. It, uh, it's, it, it means vigor. It means energy. It means vitality. The church should be full of liveliness. And that's Paul's whole point. We might organize things in a practical way so we have organization. But the most important thing about church and the body of Christ, the main thing about it is that it is a, 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 a body that has life and energy and spiritual vitality. And its energy and its vigor and its life comes from God himself. That's what we believe about the church. This is a spiritual community that has its source in God, in Christ Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a golf club. If you want to go to play golf, go and play golf. If you want a community thing that does work, go and join a community thing that does charitable work. The church is none of that. We might do some of those things, but above all, the church is a spiritual community that has its head, its life, the source of its life, God himself. That's what we believe. All right? So that's the first thing that Paul does to stress this uh, why he uses the word body. It stresses the idea of life. And the second thing I want to say is it stresses the source of life. And I've already alluded to it already. This vigor, this vitality comes from God himself. And if you think about it, that's not biologically correct, is it really? I mean, without a heart, the brain is not going to function. So Paul, Paul is not using it in a biological way. He's using it to illustrate uh, a, a different thing. Uh, we are made, what does the scripture say? We are made alive in Christ. We once were dead, dead in our transgressions and sins, dead completely to God. We couldn't even relate to him. What happens? By faith we believe you come alive on the inside and you become alive on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit and you are placed into Christ who is the head. Yes, that's how, what it means to be born again. So all of us are placed into the head who is Jesus and the source of our life is Jesus. He is the one who gives us life to, to move and breathe and think and enjoy all of life. The source of our life is Christ. That's the idea that Paul is saying using this word body. So in other words, we become part of a living organism, we are alive with the life of God, we are alive with the energy of God, we are alive to fulfill the call of God, daily empowered by the head who is Jesus. He is the head. From him flows every energy and life that we have. He gives us a desire for worship. He gives us the ability in our lives to put down sin, to say no to certain things in order to say yes to other things. He is the one who enables us to work out our salvation, not by trying hard, but by cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our lives, whose divine power is working inside of us, and we co-labor with that power, His divine power inside of us, and then we work out our salvation. 
What is true of us in heaven starts to become true of us here on earth. We learn to become more patient. We learn to become kind. We learn to love others. We learn to get on with difficult people. Why? Because his, his power is laboring inside of us, and we co-labor with him, and we work it out in a practical way. This is the gospel. From the head flows all life. And remember in our study of Colossians, which wasn't too long ago, what did Paul say in chapter 2? Do you remember he said there were false teachers that had come into the church, and they were saying, you need to add certain things to Jesus. Add some tradition, add some philosophy, add some asceticism. In other words, good for you to fast a lot and to beat your body and get yourself into shape because um, that's going to help you. And what does Paul say? He says, No! Sorry, that was loud. He says no to all of those things. He says you don't need any of that stuff. You do not need tradition. You do not need legalism. You do not need philosophy. You do not need to fast and beat yourself to prove that you are spiritual. All that you need is Jesus. That's what he says, and he paints that amazing picture in Colossians chapter 2 of who Jesus is. It's like a technicolor full portrait, and he paints this amazing picture of Christ, and he says, all you need to do is keep yourself connected to the head, and the head is Jesus. And if you are connected to Jesus, if you walk by the Spirit, you will automatically fulfill all that God has for you, what God wants for you, how he wants you to live, how he wants you to love people. Keep yourself connected to Jesus. I want to encourage you this year, keep yourself connected to the head. He is all that you need. And Paul says in, uh, in Colossians 2.18, let no one disqualify you. Uh, I've been a Christian for a long time. You know, people subtly try to disqualify you. You're not, so, you're not spiritual enough. You know, if you lead a church, you should be spiritual like this. And why don't you fast regularly? Oh, well, I do, but not, you know, not as a rule. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? People subtly try and disqualify you, and Paul says, actually, no, all you need is Christ. It's good to do these things. It's good to pray. It's good to preach. But, but actually, Jesus is all you need. And something of our flesh likes to kind of let others know that we are spiritual. Isn't that right? We like to prove it. How do we prove it? Oh, well, we prove it by doing these things. Now, Paul says you don't need any of that. That doesn't prove anything. <laughs> all you need is Christ. And as you love Christ with all your heart, you automatically fulfill those things. So he says, he says, don't, don't let anyone disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. That asceticism is just the idea of fasting and praying or the worship of angels. You know, if you don't worship angels, somehow you're not spiritual. Or going on details about visions. I've been in the church a long time. People often have visions, you know. This is the vision that God has given me. This is the picture that God has given me. And now suddenly you must transform all of your life because they've had a, they've had a prophetic picture. I love prophetic pictures, and I'm not knocking that. We've built this church around prophetic pictures of what God has for us. But that's not the main thing. You see what Paul is saying? He says it's not the main thing. He says these things puff you up without reason. And, and, and if you do that, you don't hold fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. That's the point Paul's making. Those things are, are good, but actually don't get distracted by all that stuff. Keep yourself connected to the head who is Jesus, from which everything, all parts of this body grow. If you get their nourishment, the ligaments hold it all together, and the growth is from God. Amen. Okay, I'm trying to go quickly. Number three. So, 
It stresses the idea of life. It stresses the source of life, which is Christ. And thirdly, body language stresses unity. This is so important. Remember, we're talking about all of the church, all over the, the world, the, the, the body of Christ, all these local churches. It stresses unity. And um, think of unity that exists in your body. This is how we should think about the church. My arm cannot be separated from my body without some bad mutilation or amputation. That's the only way it can be separated. Uh, the tragic story I, I read in the newspaper of some kid in Watford there were these rival gangs, and this guy walked up to him with a hatchet and whacked off his arm, Oof, just like that. That's the only way your arm can be separated from your body is by some intervention like amputation. So in other words, Paul is saying there's a very deep unity um, in your body, and in the same way it is with the church of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. The church has been given unity. We don't have to try and create unity. The church has been given unity in Christ as a gift. What are we called to do? We are called to guard the unity that has already been given us. And that includes a unity of mind. There's one body, says Paul. There's one faith. There's one baptism. And it includes a deep fellowship and sympathy for each other in different parts of the world. I love this. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those that are in chains. In other words, Paul is saying there are people in the world in chains for the sake of the gospel. And so um, the, the, the writer of the Hebrews, rather. And he says, remember them as people who are bound with them. As people who are themselves also in the body. So Paul is saying, when you think of some person in, I don't know, I'm going to pick some place, China, that is being persecuted for their faith, and they are in chains for the gospel, remember them because they are part of the same body that you are part of. And their pain is your pain. And there's this deep unity and there's this deep um, uh, recognition and sympathy for each other because we are part of the same body, says Paul. And the amazing thing, if you think about it, is that the church the local church, the body of Christ, the universal church brings together people that might have been enemies. Have you ever thought about that? In the first century, the Jews and the Gentiles hated each other. They didn't come together at all. And what does Paul say? There's a miracle that happens. He says in Ephesians that God has made the two groups one. He's created a new thing out of those two groups, his body, a new humanity, in fact, he says. He's created and he's made peace between all different groups of people and that we are now unified through the cross because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, we say in the church, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no fail, fail, male, there's no female, there's no black, there's no white, there's no Chinese. It doesn't matter. All are one in Christ. The church is a powerful thing that brings people together that the world says cannot be together. Jesus says, I've made you one in my body. You are one in me. God, the unity that I have given you. Come on. And this is the, one of the things that we long to see in our ch this expression, this local church, is every tribe, every tongue, every people group. Why? Because it's going to be like that in heaven one day. And because God has given us unity in Christ, and therefore our hearts are open to every single person, whatever your background, whatever your language, whatever your culture, we are one in Christ. This is good news. And in the same way, 
Fourthly, body not only stresses unity, body language stresses variety. That we don't all have to be the same. There's amazing variety in the church, and there are many parts, 1 Corinthians 12, to this body. And that's how it is with the church. Um, and that's not only true within a local con uh, church co uh, context, but it's also true at a worldwide level. Um, for example, if you've uh, known there's been an amazing thing that's happened in the last 30, 40 years in Korea, with churches in Korea, and they are known for their prayer. The, the, the Korean churches are known for prayer. Um, there are some churches in the West that are known for preaching the gospel and for worship. Churches are known for these things. What about um, the churches in Latin America and South America, which have been ca Catholic for centuries? They've thrown off that sense of traditionalism, and they have moved into a whole new thing. And there's revival all over South America with people as they are getting born again. We can learn from these different parts of God's body. Yeah? People from Africa can teach us how to pray. Really can. Why? Because that's what God has done with them. And so what is, what is Paul saying? We are many parts of this body, and we all can learn from each other, and there's great variety in this body, and this variety is needed. All right? So, so this morning when we were praying, we prayed for God's blessing on every church in St. Albans and Hertfordshire and uh, in the greater London area that preaches the gospel, that wants to see Jesus glorified. We prayed for every single church because these churches are all slightly different, have different expressions of how they do things, but we prayed that God would prosper every church and add to every church that is preaching the gospel. Amen? And so that's my fifth point. Paul says this, uses this um, body language to show that we are related to each other and that we all need each other. Right? It's a very powerful thing. I'm joined to my fellow Christian, to my fellow believer, as my hand is joined to my arm. There's a, there's a common nervous system that flows all through the body, and in the same way, there's a common nervous system that flows through the whole of the body of Christ all over the world, and we can't go around lopping people's arms off. And this is where it becomes difficult, isn't that? Because we want to speak well of the church. We want to speak well of the bride because we are part of the bride. We are part of the body. For me, it gets hard when you see something of the church not representing Christ well. Is that, am I putting it well? And I, I've been around church a long, long time. And there, there are lots of things about the church, the church, the universal church, expressions of what people say God is saying that I don't like, that I think are wrong. But at the same time, we're called well to, to speak well of the church, to build the church up, not to be those that go around lopping off people's arms and that part of the church, judging that part of the church. Are you with me? So let's speak well of the church. Let's be those that build up the church, the imperfect church, because it is the bride of Christ, and he's coming back for a bride that he is perfecting, as yet it is not perfect. And for me, I always remind myself when I walk through these doors that I am not perfect. My wife can tell you that. My boys can tell you that. So who am I to say that everyone else needs to be perfect? No, we are all sinners, saved by grace, now saints, we sang about it, being trans continually transformed into the likeness and the image of Christ. Let's build up the body together. Do all that we can to strengthen the body. All right? Nearly finished. Number six, 
this, this use of body language implies that we should yield ourselves to serve the entire church wherever we can. And here's a little thing again as we're reorientating our lives for this year. Romans 12, 4 says that we are one body and we all have gifts that differ, so let us use them. All right? You have gifts that are not the same as the gifts that I have. We all have different gifts. Paul's encouragement to the church in Romans is whatever your gift is, use it to build up the body. So I'm encouraging this morning. I don't know all of you well enough to know what your gifts are, but I am saying you have gifts. Can I encourage you this year to use your gift, whatever it is, your gifts to build up the body, to bring life to the body, to encourage the body, to help the body to become stronger and stronger. I want to say to you that every time that you are not here, this body, I'm not saying this in a condemning way, but this body this local expression of church misses out on the gift that you bring when you walk through the doors. It does. That's why we need each other. You know? If I know I need encouragement, I'm going to speak, I'm going to go up to John, because John always gives me a hug and says, how are you doing? Well, that's the, something of the gift that God has given him. I could pick on many other people as well to, to say. But that's what I'm saying. You bring your gift through the doors and you add value to the church by being yourself and using the gifts that you have. Whether it's hospitality or service or leadership or generosity, whatever it is. Are you with me? Let's build the church this year. Okay? And uh, number seven, body. Paul uses this word body to speak about growth. Jesus is the head. The body grows. We dedicated Kenzie Ray this morning, who's about four. In uh, 10 years, she's going to be 14. She will grow. Her body will change. She will come into a whole new maturity in her life. It's the same picture for us. That's why Paul says, I don't want you to be infants. You know, we always talk about the first love that we had when we were born again. That's a really cool thing. But the, the image of the scripture is, don't stay as you were. You have come to Christ. Your, 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 your past has been forgiven. You have a new hope for today. You have a sure hope for, 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 the, for the future. And the picture of, the, of, of the, um, the language of the New Testament is always continue on this journey, grow up, become strong, become mature so you can reproduce other believers. Don't stay as you are. Don't stay a child. Don't stay an infant. Learn what, you, 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 what God wants you to know about Himself, that your, your, your ideas of God can grow. Why? So that you can become mature and grow up and help others that are just, have just been born again. Are you with me? That's the picture of the church, that we grow up and become mature, become adult in Christ, not in a condescending way, but that we can reproduce others and help to bring through those that have just been born again that they can be helped along their journey of discipleship. And what does Paul say? Again, in Ephesians he says, the main point of all of this, body language, is that we can grow up and be built up and build each other up in love. That's what Paul says. All of this is about loving God and loving each other. And lastly, body, the use of body language speaks about the fact that ultimately, there's only one Lord, there's only one head, there's only one king, 
and his name is Jesus. And he is the head of all of this. He is the one to, to whom we gladly, willingly give all of ourselves to see his body, not ours, his body grow up into full maturity and become all that it can be so that the kingdom can come on earth and people can be saved. It's about his glory. It's about him being the source of our energy. Everything comes from him and everything returns to him and brings glory to him who is the head. Amen. So remember that this year as we strive to, to go forward, as we co-labor with Christ, that actually he is the source of our life. He is the one who enables us in every way. He is the one that has given us unity. He is the one that uh, encouraged us to just be who we are, that uh, even though the body is, is, is um, uh, unified, there's also great variety in the body, that it's our privilege to take the gifts that we have to help the body grow and to do all that we can to see the, the, the church grow all over the world, and that ultimately, at the end, it's about Jesus, the head, receiving glory for his body here on earth. And all that we do, all that we give, brings glory to him, the one who's seated right now at the right hand of the Father. Amen.